BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following is a presentation of the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Going to take you back in time here, Mike. In 1992, a guy named Mike Wallace had a top 10 finish at Martinsville and was promptly dismissed by Moroso Racing. But it was told it wasn't personal. <laughs> they were just going in a different direction. Later that year, he was hired by today's guest to drive the number nine Oldsmobile, replacing the late Clifford Allison. Together, they had a ninth place finish at Dover and a second at Martinsville. They ran the entire Bush schedule in 1993, racking up nine top tens that season and finished 12th in the final point standings. You guys had a great year in 1993. So there are stories to tell, and today's guest <laughs> goes way back in NASCAR. Welcome to the broadcast, or podcast as the case may be, Barry Owen. Say hi to Mike Wallace, Barry. Hey, Mike. Hello, Barry. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, let me set the stage for everybody that's listening. And uh, Jeff, you have to emphasize who's listening. The whole, the whole world, the whole is world listening. is listening. So Barry Owen and I become buddies back in the early '90s. He was fielding cars and uh, needed a driver change or a, need to have a driver. I got a phone call from him, and this is just kind of fastly setting the the, the scenario, and then we'll deal into it more and barry was uh 
he's probably one of the greatest racers that I've ever met. He has uh, he had the knack of taking anything in a race car, no matter how good a shape it was in or how bad a shape it was in, right? And making it fast. He would take other people's wrecked race cars that they would throw into the side, and he'd get them, and he would rebuild them. He'd put frame rails in them. He'd put partial roll cages in them and make good race cars on a budget. What you call being thrifty. He was very thrifty. I, uh, You know, what's prompted a lot of this in my career driving for Barry, which we won plenty of good races, and we'll talk about that as the show goes on. We've had guests on our show, David Reagan. Josh Williams, uh, Parker Klingerman's also drove for Barry, and won. they've all won races with him. And uh, so we're going to introduce everybody to Barry Owen, and uh, he's just a hell of a good guy. We won a lot of races, so Barry, let's just let me get one question out of the way because there's been this story for a long time. Then we're going to get to your total backstory. You at one time were a a crew member for Richard Petty Racing, or for Richard Petty, the King. And he won that big race that I believe Ronald Reagan was at, July 4th, Daytona race. First of all, is that right? Did you work for Richard Petty? Yeah, yeah. And and what what did you do at Petty's? What, about what age? Well, just a back. Now, I worked for your brother, Rusty, his rookie season at uh, Cliff Stewart's. And I left halfway through the season and went to Petty's uh, with Buddy Parrott. Well, look at there. But, there's uh, something I didn't know. There you go. Okay. Yeah. That's why we do so, this show. Uh, yeah, we do. We learn a lot of stuff. So th that would have been Rusty's rookie season. Would have been what, 1984? Yeah, with Guard sponsor. Okay, Guard 340-2. I remember that being on the car. And uh, so you worked for Rusty or for Cliff Stewart, and then you left yeah. the... Why? Yeah, it was actually Bodine's rookie season and then Rusty's rookie season at Cliff's. Oh, okay. So, so first of all, what made you leave Cliff Stewart or Rusty Wallace? Well, Buddy Parrott recruited me. Okay. Uh, I don't know why he recruited me, but he did. But, you know, back then, you know, even at Curbs, this is when Richard wasn't at Level Cross. He was running at Curbs in Kannapolis. And, you know, we only had six full-time people on the team. Well, I was the only heavy fabricator there. There was a couple people did crush panels and that type of stuff, and we had a body man. But I was the only one that was, you know, doing the heavy body in installations and the framework and stuff like that. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story about Petty's. Go right ahead. We're, you're, this year's right. show, buddy. We're all well, ears. <laughs> Richmond, uh, at the old Richmond track, Richard got all up on the wall and bent the side rail and the door bars and the back of the snout in front of the tail clip. So they go on to... Uh, Riverside, and I'm back at the shop by myself. So I said, Well, I cut the side out and the door bars out and replaced the rail and rebuilt the side of the car. So Richard comes back and he's back in the fab shop, and there's no surface plate or jig or anything. This is all on jack stands. And uh, he says, Well, what'd you fix that for? He said, I'll never drive it again. I said, Well, it was worthless like it was, and I didn't have anything else to do. So we went ahead and put the body on it and painted it. Well, a couple of weeks later, he and Buddy Parrott are back here looking at it. They said, well, you know, it's just Bristol. We can take it to Bristol. Well, they go to Bristol and qualified seventh. They ran 13 more races after that. <laughs> He's not going <laughs> to drive that thing, right? <laughs> no, he wasn't going to drive that thing. Yeah. So so in that 
era of Richard Petty, you, you, what, what was it like to drive for the king? I mean, I don't know if he was as big of a king back then he is, as he is now, but uh, or was he the king at that time? Now, Richard was fun to work with. He First off, he would stay there half the night with us, and he would go out and get pizza, and he'd hang around and all. So he, he was... He was good to work with. He, he walked around the shop. He talked to people and everything like that. And then at the racetracks, when Earnhardt and all them were trying to sneak out at Rockingham or Dover or somewhere, Richard would just get a folding chair and a handful of Sharpies and go out by the fence and just start signing autographs. And I nicknamed him RP43 because he would start out with a real fancy Richard Petty 43, and then it became R Petty 43. And then after about 100, it was RP-43. RP-43. <laughs> so so moving forward and kind of picking up the story, there was a famous race in Daytona. I forget what year it was. It was the July 4th race. You can probably remember dates. Uh, our president at that time was uh, Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan was coming to a NASCAR race, and he was going to start the race and he was going to stay for it, from what I understand. So he started the race, give gentlemen, start your engines from inside Air Force One on the way to the race to land. And then he landed, come to the race. Richard Petty wins the race. Stop me if I'm telling any story. That was kind of pre-me. Uh, and Richard goes up into the grandstands, up into the press box, and meets with the president. And... You guys have got, after all this, you win that race, and I think it was Richard Petty's 200th win, which is pretty monumental. And then you take that car back to the shop, and somehow or another, everybody from the stories I've been told from numerous people, they all think that this car is authenticated sitting somewhere today. But the one thing that's not authenticated because it's sitting in your garage <laughs> is the grill out of that winning car. Is that, do I have the storyline kind of right there? Yeah, that's pretty much it. it uh, what happened, we had to run the car at Talladega. Well, on that 200th win, Kale and Richard got to banging sides coming to the start-finish line. So it, the whole right side of the car was tire-marked and caved in. So uh, we, we had to fix the right side before we went to Talladega. Then after Talladega, then the car went to the Smithsonian. Well, in touching it up, you know, back then... You know, we still had steel bumpers and rubber bumper covers and plastic headlight grills and, you know, fiberglass header panels. It was all stock panels. And the all the plastic parts would get sandblasted. So we just put a new grill and new headlight doors in it before it went to the Smithsonian. And I kept the grill and the body man kept the headlight doors. There you go. So the... Uh... The Smithsonian didn't have the actual griller headlights, right? <laughs> and I've got a, I got Richard to do me a letter of authenticity, and Buddy Parrot and all that signed it and everything. Oh wow! Uh, for, for my grill. And, oh, and by I the still way, got... oh by the way, Ronald Reagan became the first sitting president of the United States to watch a live NASCAR race. Did you know that? And then. He was the first to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken with the drivers afterwards. Really? <laughs> that's what it says, right? You can find anything you want on the internet. That, right? That's why everybody <laughs> liked Ronald Reagan. He, he was a movie star, a governor, and a president. He's a down-to-earth dude. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> so, so after that, uh, we'll, we'll move forward. Off. Has anybody ever come to you, Barry, and says, hey, I want that grill, or we need that grill, or is it just kind of lost in a, a moment of time? 
I think up till now, probably nobody knew I had it. All right. Well, <laughs> didn't too many people know that I had it. So you let the cat out of the bag. Cat the out of the bag. world is listening. Somebody wants that grill. Yeah, well, Sotheby's, <laughs> the big auction company in New York, in England, are going to be calling you. I put a minimum of $1.5 million opening <laughs> bid, put a reserve on uh, it. and uh, they, they would probably get it. <laughs> And, and t- tell them I have the pit uniform and the garage pass and all the stuff that they gave us for the 200th win to go with it. I think you just did, Barry. I think make, the, the make, world knows. Making it even $2 million. Yeah, <laughs> even $2 million opening bid. And you don't have to go 2-1. Just 2 and we'll slam the hammer. Yep. <laughs> so, Barry, tell us a little bit about your life. I mean, I know a lot about it, and we'll get into it, and we'll kind of elaborate, but... Uh, you know, where where, and when did you get involved in motorsports? And I, I have to say this, people. Barry's name's not common. I mean, us in the race world know exactly who he is, and every driver knows exactly who he is. But he's not a common name to the race fan. But he's been involved in the sport in so many different ways, helped so many different drivers and his own race teams, uh, you know, be very successful. And uh, so take us back. In your words, and in time, when did you get started in motorsports? Well, uh, I I really, first off, I hated high school. And so I just, whatever it did, get out of high school. But in 71, I got drafted in the Army. So I was in the Army for seven years. Thank you for your service. And uh, I was a crew chief on a Huey helicopter. Well, the last three years, I actually wound up in executive flight detachment, which had the presidential flight and the night vision lab and uh, basically was there to evacuate the Pentagon and White House if they ever had to. But uh, and that Jimmy Carter was president then. But uh, when I was in there, I got to racing at Manassas and Beltsville, Maryland. And after two years of trying to drive my own race car at Manassas, I figured out I was a lot better at building them than I was driving. <laughs> and, uh, of course, in my defense, I didn't know what I was doing as far as suspension goes when I was trying to drive it. I was driving on old barred tires and two tip of springs and all this other crap. Anyway, so when I got out of the Army, then uh, – I started uh, opening a little shop here and I started working with Richard Childers when Richard was still driving. And uh, like I said, worked for him for about six months and then went to Hagen's. So, how did you, you know, how does an average person back in that period of time, how do you, uh, you come out of the military, you move back to the North Carolina area? How, how do you go get a job for Richard or with Richard Childers? In today's world, that sounds like a big deal. Was it that big a deal back then? No, I mean, the, uh, all you had to do was work for free. <laughs> as long as you'd work hard and could do something and work for free, you, you were in. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and like I used to tell my guys on our team, you know, you work for free till you get so good I can't do without you, and then I have to pay you. <laughs> okay. You, you make yourself irreplaceable at that point. Mm-hmm. So. so so you're working for Childress. And go ahead. Uh, then left there and went to Billy Hagen's for a couple of years with Terry Labonte and Terry won the Southern 500 at, uh, Darlington that year. That was his, uh, he and Earnhardt were both rookies. I tell people I got in the tail end of Petty, Pearson, Allison, Yarbrough, all those, and all these rookies started coming in, Rusty, uh, Bodine, Earnhardt, Bill Elliott, Jeff Gordon, 
you know, I, I, I was there when all those were rookies. Pretty you, good you, cast of rookies, right? I was going to say, he's <laughs> in the golden years of NASCAR. What I, and I mean that in a way that all of what we think as older guys that were famous, like yeah. really famous, and they got to drive race with the whole new crop of new guys. Right, right. Barry? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And it was fun building cars back then, and that's what I enjoyed doing, building cars, because you could do stuff to them. I mean, they had the rules, but you could work between the rules. But, uh, you know, now you can't build anything. But the only advantage I think I had over a lot of teams was our ability to build our own stuff and build it just a little bit different. Where did you? Th where do you think you came up with that knowledge at? I mean, I know you're in the military, but where did uh, fabrication capabilities come from and the knowledge of just – you know, it's not like just someday you woke up and go, oh, I know how to cut frame rails off of cars and put roll cages in them. I mean, it takes a little bit of, of learning, as they say. Well, it is. I can't read and write and spell, but I can look at mechanical stuff and figure out how to make it better. And they've just, just been able to do it. Uh, no particular training. I got you. Which is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, I think he's elaborating or exaggerating a little bit there in that first part. But uh, Good time. Take a time out. We'll come back and talk some more with Barry Owen. All right? You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent, longtime NASCAR vet Barry Owen on the line. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Barry, we were talking about how you, uh, you know, how you learned things, how you came to work for Richard Childress. And uh, so let's get back on that. You were explaining how you, you understood how to become a fabricator. So you're at uh, Childress's, then you went to Billy Hagen, and you went to Southern 500 with Terry Labonte. You're, uh, at that time, the older guard is kind of moving on or getting a little older in NASCAR, and you had all these young punk kids Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin, Jeff Gordon, all them coming along. So guy named Earnhardt. Uh, Earnhardt. Who was Earnhardt? You ever heard that guy? <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that You ever that listen to everybody goes, Earnhardt? Yeah, I believe he's from Canapolis. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what was going on in your career that that period of the NASCAR world? Well, I, pretty much the whole time I was just a fabricator. And, uh, I mean, the, back then, you know, nobody had backup cars and all like that. Terry had uh, – We'd qualified fifth at Bristol, and the throttle had hung, and he hit the wall on the second lap. Well, we didn't have a backup car. Well, I was back at the shop, and Daryl Bryant calls me up. He says, uh, here's the list of stuff you need to bring. He said, you need to bring all the right front suspension, the trailing arms, the rear end housing, a hood, a right front fender, a front bumper, and a port of power, and a welder, and a jack. Well, it's rolled a spring pocket, end up gets the engine block. Uh, so... We get in there and take the motor out and the porter powers and push the frame back and all that stuff. And uh, <laughs> we wound up, uh, he ran sixth the first part of the race, but he had sprained his wrist and he was driving with one hand. So he got out, Earnhardt went back in, got in it because he had fallen out, and Earnhardt made up a lap in the car. But uh, like I say, it was a car that, you know, old banjo cars, rear stairs. Mm -hmm. But that was one we put back together to racetrack. That's amazing. You think about that, Jeff, today. Somebody bends a little something on, on the race cars, and it's instantly go to a backup car. Right. You know, there is no, well, we'll just fix that. Yeah. 
And here, here they destroyed they, a car and they fixed it. Destroyed, I know, yeah. Load all that stuff, the equipment he was talking about loading. Yeah, we're going to need this, 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 this. When you start hearing spring buckets up against the motor, that means that's where the front coil spring is mounted. So yeah. it's rolled the whole top edge of the frame rail in about five, six inches is what that amounts to. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> So, so you go through that uh, Terry Labonte time, and, and you're, you're working as a fabricator for them. And then where do we go from there? Where's Barry Owen go from there? Uh, let's see. I went to Cliff Stewart's, like I say, Bodine's rookie season. And Bodine, he was the only driver that year that led every race from Daytona February to Daytona 4th of July. But he'd been up a car every race, too. And I was just constantly straightening the frames and we'd go back to the next race we'd lead a lap or two he'd bend the frame we'd straighten it back and do it again and, and, then, and uh, he'd bend them frames because he was running into people running in the wall blowing tires what was kind of uh, he he was just i don't know he, he was just a little hard on the cars okay uh, but he, he he ran them yeah he, he'd put them up front mm -hmm. until he knocked the wall down okay and some of it was tire problems some of those other problems but uh, and then when he left and that's when Rusty came on and I was there for about half a season with Rusty. So what was it like to work with Rusty Wallace when he was a, a young kid that came from St. Louis, Missouri and uh, got the big old hair Afro type uh, deal? What, what was his personality like in, in, in the NASCAR world? I wasn't down here, have no idea what it was like. So clue us in. The, the picture I saw of y'all earlier you had the big afro <laughs> <laughs> well you know back in the day barry that was uh i don't know man that was like the trendy deal i looked at the, a wedding picture the other Absolutely. day and my my head looks like it's about four times bigger than that picture because i had like a four what i call a four inch afro like the whole hair was all yeah what i think they called it back then my mom would say you boys need a perm <laughs> needed a perm my brother had a hair a haircut just like that really and yeah he had uh Curly red hair, and it was the style, man. Yeah, I thought it was cool. That guy on television, the painter guy that used to be on some third channel network that he would paint pictures, he had big afro, so we thought we were cool. The big fro. The fro. Fro and, 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 and while you're on that subject, tell Josh if he needs some money for a haircut, I'll give him some. <laughs> okay. Well, I think Josh, and we're talking about Josh Williams we had on last week. Josh is a... Uh, Man, I'm gonna tell you what that young man is playing this whole NASCAR deal penalty to the fullest. He got, you know, he got him a sponsor out of that, Jeff. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's what he, I heard. A parking solutions company. Perfect. You know, <laughs> then he, then at Brist, uh, Richmond, he's reinstated. So what's he do? He brings everybody pizzas. He delivers pizzas to the media center. Took pizzas to the NASCAR trailer. Yeah. <laughs> he he was an impressive guy to talk to. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. Getting back to the Rusty Wallace, nineteen what eighty four? That'd probably been. Uh, he would have been the rookie uh, of the year, I think, in nineteen eighty four. What was he? Yeah, I think eighty four is the year Richard won the two hundreds. Okay, well we're off somehow or another, and yeah, whatever just, years it is, and. But how was just curious? Well, how, how was Rusty to work with? Do you remember? I don't remember really having that much interaction with him. I was they had me stuffed back in the back corner of the shop. Okay. You know, I didn't get to affiliate with the big wigs. I got you. So after uh, working with Rusty, where'd you go from there? Well, that's when we went to Curbs with Petty. Now, uh, Jeff, you're familiar with Mike Curb, right? 
I he's am not. A, he's Curb is a music Curb Records Record company. Yeah, okay. he owns yeah. that, and he I've was the yeah. he was the lieutenant governor of California. Oh no, kid. Yeah, and he owned a race team. Still does today. Own and sponsors cars under the Curb Record name. I think Curb was owned by MCA Records. Okay, I think, I think they were affiliated. Yeah. Yeah, they still got a strong presence over in the Kannapolis area. They have a museum, or you can go see Richard Petty's cars that he owned at that time. Minus and, the grill. Pardon? Minus the minus grill. the grill. The grill. I know where it's in Lexington, North Carolina. I know exactly where it's at. And Sotheby's for the two million dollar minimum. We're gonna. They can go anywhere you want. Well, they've got an Earnhardt. They've got an Earnhardt car in there too. Oh, do they? Yeah, and I, I built the Earnhardt car while I was at Curbs. Oh, wow. So what we're talking what we're talking about, everybody. If you're ever over in the Kannapolis, North Carolina area. There is a they rebuilt all downtown Kannapolis and it's all kind of modern up par, ballpark in town and bars and restaurants and all that. But Curb has a museum. So that's my Curb's museum. And it's also the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame tied into the same oh, building. No so I had no idea. If you ever want to see some old uh, racing stuff, a lot of people don't know that's there. And the Richard Petty cars and Dale Arnhart cars that Barry was involved with stop by there sometime. So. You proceeded on there, you know, with Curb, and uh, I kind of lost track of what I was saying there, except when you left Rusty or... Well, what happened uh, after Richard left and went back to Level Cross, then Curb stayed open for one more year with Ron Bouchard and the Vavoline sponsor. Okay. And that's the first time I was a crew chief on a cup car. But we had an engine program that... You know, would run 50 laps and blow up every week. Okay. <laughs> but Ron and I, we had a good time, but it was, uh, it'd run 50 laps and blow up. And Ronnie would say, Well, I smell the bearings. I'm going to go ahead and shut it off. Who who was building motors in that time? Who Was that an in house program? Trying, or? Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to build them in house. Yeah. That, and that didn't work. That kind of has proven over the years, hasn't it? It's not a very good program normally working that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then. So as you roll out of the curb program and uh, a crew chief, what was a crew chief's responsibility in that time and era of NASCAR racing? Well, there again, you're still talking to only five full-time employees, so it was everything. I mean, I, the crew. Chief, I told somebody if you're going to be a successful crew chief in NASCAR, you got to have a briefcase. <laughs> got to be able to convince everybody—the car owner, the driver, the sponsor—that everything went wrong was somebody else's fault. <laughs> I actually know some guys like that. <laughs> and I didn't have a briefcase. And uh, as you know, you used to get on to me because I didn't keep a lot of notes and all. And the setup of the car, I'd have written on a roll cage, and this radiator fan shroud and all of what I had in it. Yeah, very, very basic. Very new, know how to get to it. So I assume after the, the crew chief position there at Curbs, then what did you do? Okay, I got there's a series called the Goodies Dash series. That, and that was did, pretty famous back in the day, right? That was uh, yeah. We, well, a lot of the drivers, Michael Waltrip and Pearson, and a lot of them came through that series. Explain that car to people, Barry. That was a smaller car, right? In body size and chassis size, or what? Yeah, it was. It was little Sunbirds and Mustangs and all with four cylinder engines. Okay. And we ran with Larry Cottle for two years. And we won nine out of 15 the first year and 11 out of 15 the second year. And NASCAR asked me to leave. 
How do they how do they go about doing that when you're dominating and messing up their show? How, when, when they say, how about leaving? Does that mean they find something illegal and suspend you or just ask you to go do something else? Well, everything on my cars that were different became illegal. I got you. We actually actually had a torsion bar, a torque arm on them. Uh, I, I, when I built the cars, I just basically took a Troyer modified and squared it up and put a body on it. Uh, but that all became illegal. Gotcha. So as NASCAR kind of wasn't thrilled with the performance, you guys, what, only won, what, about 26 out of 33 races or something, <laughs> I think? Quick math there. So, something like that. But it just, I mean, it, we had races where we, Sat on pole and led every lap for five straight races. Yeah. So, so Jeff, I don't know. You, you've been around for a long time. Do you remember the Dash Series? I do. Little I cars? remember seeing them race at Daytona. Yeah. They were always part of Speed Week. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, whatever happened to the Goodies Dash Series? Are they, they now defunct? Well, it, we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. It just sort of died out. Uh, NASCAR didn't need it anymore. It used to be sort of a pre-show. And as far as the, I built a lot of the cars years after that. And it got to the point that I had built probably half a series. But uh, Jan Smith used to build the motors with us. And when Jan and I worked together, and I built a car and he built a motor. We won Daytona nine times in 11 years <laughs> with a dash. I would say that was called dominance, wouldn't you? a pretty good record. Yeah. Nine, nine out of 11. Unbelievable. <laughs> and that was seven different drivers. <laughs> I've, I've told somebody one time when I was driving for Bear, I says, you know, it's crazy enough to believe. I, I know he's won these dash races, but I don't know how many or for who or whatever. Now I won a bunch of them. Nine out of 11 at Daytona. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> they had something figured out. Yeah. <laughs> they were cheating. They just forgot to tell everybody else. But that's all right. You're not cheating until you're caught. But uh, We weren't cheating. That's what aggravated them. They, they kept trying to catch us for traction control and soaking tires and big engines, but they never... I didn't know how to do any of that. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. Somebody told me we were racing with my son, Matt, a few years ago, and they said something about you guys are cheating or doing whatever. I said, look, dude, I am not even close to smart enough to know how to cheat. So <laughs> you, you just got to believe that everything's the way it's supposed to be here. So <laughs> so after the Dash program, so you're basically that, that series goes away. And I'm assuming you were making a – some form of a living doing that type of work or where did you have another job going on or is it just primarily working on dash cars no nah, i was eating a lot of bologna and sticking feathers in it and calling it turkey for thanksgiving <laughs> I got after that we started the bush team uh-huh i got together with mike swain and we started the bush team and first year we had texas pete and steve grissom so uh, and uh, to elaborate just a little bit from there, Mike Swain was a, a businessman slash race driver up in your area, right? He won those dash, ran some of those dash cars and that all the time. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I work, worked with his son some, too. One one dash race with his son and, and the ARCA race with his son, okay. Swain Jr. So you've got winning success there. And so how do you guys decide, hey, I'm going to start a race team? Or how do you, des you know... How do you guys approach each other and go, let's go racing? Well, Mike and I had worked together in the Dash Series some, and uh, he wanted to run a bush race, and we got a, bought an old car and had Bullfrog Nips for a sponsor. And uh, we sort of got started that way. And then with his Dash car, he had Texas Pete as a sponsor. So Texas Pete was going to sponsor the bush car. 
And so we got Steve Grissom because starting a team from nothing, uh, Grissom had a truck and a trailer and a couple cars. So he had a little something to work with. His dad put some money toward it. So we did that. Okay. And how, how did that start of that program go? You know, I'm going to I have to talk ugly if, if, if but that's all right. It, it, we, it's we, your we show. It. Talk any way you want. <laughs> well, Steve and, and dad thought they could do a whole lot better than what we were doing. And they did. They actually won a championship, but they concentrated more on, uh, taking a sponsor away and make me look bad. And they did on trying to run good. Okay, so, uh, so we'll leave it at that because it's time to take a yeah. break on that type of note. <laughs> we'll come back and talk some more with Barry Owen. You're listening to Fast Card and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Card and NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent, longtime NASCAR vet. Barry Owen is our guest today. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Barry, we're at a point in your career where you and Mike Swain had teamed up along with uh, Texas Pete to uh, field a Bush car. You had Steve Grissom driving the car, and that program wasn't working exactly the way you uh, wanted it to. So I'm, I'm assuming everybody kind of went their different ways. So what was you and Swain's decision at that point? What did you guys do with your race team? Well, the next year we ran what we uh, – Ward Burton and Morgan Shepard split up. Ward was running the short tracks and Morgan was running the speedways. And that was still with the tech feet there. Okay. And then uh, after that, we it was a year we called a Taco Hell year. Uh, we ran Troy Beebe with Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> and Troy is a California cowabunga dude. He could tear up some stuff and just, and just so, didn't care. So let me get that back. That was a California cowabunga dude. Yeah. You got that, Jeff? Yeah, I do, but I don't know what it means. Hey, Cowabunga, dude. Oh, Surfer. Dude, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. Now we're all on page one here. So we did the Taco Bell year. And then uh, after that, uh, when I was racing in the Army, I met Reds Cagle. And Reds had lost his leg at Charlotte driving the cup back in the 60s. And he, he was running sportsman up there. Well, Reds worked with Bobby Allison uh, on the Miller cars. I was putting the bodies on the Miller cars for Reds, and Reds worked with Davey when Davey started with ARCA. So Bobby calls me up and says he wants to run Clifford Allison at Daytona. And uh, Reds had told him that I had a car. And I said, well, I've got a car, but it's, it was a Labonte car that I bought, an old Labonte car. I said, it's more of a Rockingham car than a Daytona car. And uh, Bobby says, well, he said, now I don't know if I can afford to do this. Well, I know, knew as a car owner, I needed the last name to attract sponsorship. I needed that Allison name. So I told Bobby, if he would buy the tires and feed us and put us in a motel, uh, that we'd do it for $1,500. And he, he paid the expenses. So, and, and this is in December. Well, Bobby wants to know if we can take it to Talladega on the way to Daytona. <laughs> no way I can get this car done, get it painted and all, and do all that. And I was also building a dash car for Maxi Bush, which we won Daytona with that year, too. But uh, Reds and I work on it till it just gets 
middle of the night, we loaded up and we'd go to Talladega. Now we've got the track rented. So we unloaded. I don't have a restrictor plate on it. I don't have any radios. And I've got four old Charlotte tires on it. So uh, we unloaded. I told Reds to warm it up. And I was going, I hadn't set the front end yet. I was going to check the front end. Well, Clifford's out running around in the ARCA car. He comes in, gets out of the ARCA car, and he hears it running. He said, oh, we're ready to go out. I said, no, i got to work on about an hour. And I, he said, well, what can I do? I said, well, you need to go get four tires for it. These are Charlotte tires. Well, we can't buy any tires. I said, well, take the four Hoosiers off the ARCA car and stick on it. I really don't want to do that either. He said, let me look at the tires. So I oh, do whatever you want to do. So he's looking at the tires. I'm doing a few other things. And he finally says, these, these look all right. He said, let me just take it out and shake it down. I want to see how the seat feels and the steering wheel. What, a, what the heck? We're at Talladega by ourselves. 191 <laughs> miles an hour is his first lap. How fast? 191. What? <laughs> he, he runs five laps at that speed. And Reds and I are about to have a heart attack because we can't get him in. So he finally comes in. And he says it turns down into the corner pretty good. He said, when you start to unwind coming out of the corner, he said it kind of leaps a lane. And that was his term, leap a lane. Leap a lane. He said, let me go back out and see if I get used to it. I said, get your butt out of this car <laughs> and go back over to your Arca car. So I jack it up, and the left front's got a wobble in it. It's got a bent ball joint. So I changed the ball joint. That takes the majority of the wobble, but it's still got a little bit in both sides. I said, what is this? Well, the minor balls were worn out so bad in the bottom A-frames that the A-frames were shifting forward and backwards. I said, Bobby Labonte took the best car he had to Charlotte with a front-end wore out. But uh, the minor balls were just a nuisance, and the ball joint took the leap of lane out. So we finished that. Leap of lane. They, take my, they take my truck and everything, and they go to Hueytown, and they're going to paint the car in Hueytown. I go back, finish the dash car, and I meet him at Daytona. Well, I get down there. This thing is painted a candy apple red that you can see all the primer splotches behind it. The ugliest number nine you've ever seen in your life. Still got paint all over the tires and Bondo dust all over the inside. And Clifford's got a little rusty toolbox that no two wrenches match sitting on top of a trash can. And they're parked, we're parked with Mark Barton to the right of us and Harry Gant to the left of us. Well, you're looking big time there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Push comes to shove. Harry didn't make the race. Harry didn't qualify. We did. So Harry had Mac Tool sponsor. So Mac Tool put the Mac Tool on our car, and we changed the number from 9 to 91 because Joe Bessie had out-qualified us with the number 9. And by the time we got all the decals on it and, and they had to buy, finally had to buy tires, you know, then it didn't look too bad. And we were actually running 10th with 10 laps to go when the motor blew up. Oh, wow. What a story that I, is. So I was just amazed the whole time. So Bobby says, well, can we go to Richmond? And uh, why not? So we started running every race just like that. And he actually spun you out at Richmond. I don't know if you remember that. Well, I was going to bring that up, but I don't know. <laughs> Did you remember that? No, I hate to say it. I hit hit too many of them walls back in my day, but why did he spin, why did he spin me out? He was running behind you, and he said you kept blocking him. And yeah. then I'll, and oops, 
and he didn't say any more, but you didn't come back around. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell him that damn racetrack was 60 feet wide. That old car is, was only eight feet. I mean, there's plenty of room. But I, I, I know nothing. It was funny, Barry. I'm going to interrupt you. So they're showing yesterday during the cup race, they're talking about uh, during the, they got this thing where they throw the caution out and they say, put it out. And it's highlights from that race. It shows uh, Dale Earnhardt wrecking Daryl Walter back in the 80s and whatever. Then all of a sudden it's showing uh, Martin Truex Jr. up on the wall in the eight car, the Dale Jr. car. And the 38 car, Aiken Sutton, good cl or great clips cars underneath of him. <laughs> and they, fortunately, they blamed on Casey Kane driving that car. Yeah, that, that was me driving the 38 <laughs> at the time. I, was, I said, well, I didn't get thrown under the bus here for that job. <laughs> that's, uh, well, it, that's when the wrath of hell from uh, Mr. Senior Truex come down and told me that he thought I was the greatest person in the world. <laughs> so, well, speaking of not forgiving anybody... They had a dash reunion of the dash cars, uh -huh. and Shona Robinson was there. <laughs> and she ain't forgive you for Atlanta yet. Yeah, you know what? I uh, You never touched her. She did that I, on her own. Well, we know that. Hey, I've, I've had numerous conversations with people. Jeff Clark, who was her husband, I called him one day, and I said, hey, do me a favor. I said, get Shauna and I together or calm her down. I am tired of getting uh, over 20 years. She has blasted me in any opportunity she has about me wrecking her, which I never touched her, okay? I never touched yeah. her. She just wrecked herself. And, uh, hell, she did it not too long ago in the Dale Jr. download. She blamed me for no it kidding. again. Yeah, I mean, she's just, I gotta look that up. She's just been <laughs> dead of, man. I mean, she's just like, she qualified on the pole. We qualified third. We went down the corner. We were three wide. Nemechek was on the outside. She was driving one of Nemechek's car. I went to the bottom, never touched her. She got loose. And all of a sudden, there was this conspiracy theory that I had supposedly spread through the garage area that I was going to wreck her on the very first lap. Really? No, and, the, the whole deal was they were on Hoosier tires. We were on Goodyear's. And it was a big plan between Nemechek and her for her to lead the first lap on Hoosier tires and be the first woman to lead the first lap. <clears throat> they just tell you they were going to lead the yeah, first lap. They forgot <laughs> to, to tell me that I wasn't supposed to pass them. And I, I always make a joke. If that was Dale Earnhardt that made that move. Yeah. That'd been the greatest move ever, man. He drove her down <laughs> on the inside and didn't. But the, the, thank God for the air, the Goodyear blimp, because it sh clearly shows there was not one ounce of contact, not even close. But yeah, that's a uh, boy. And I don't mean to to pick on certain people, but you know they say sometimes women don't forget forever. And she should, <laughs> man. She's been on that deal for twenty something you years. That, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but. Uh, so so let's get to we're going to run out of time because we only got one more segment a few minutes in this segment let's get together when you and i started racing okay well you know i said i was racing with clifford and then he was killed at michigan mm -hmm. in practice and we were actually the fastest two cars up there us and earnhardt but you know we weren't putting tires on every time you know how michigan you can run wide open on stickers for about four laps and then you got to start lifting. Mm -hmm. But anyway, after Clifford got killed, then I knew I needed a driver and I needed the last name. And Wallace sounded good enough. And uh, <laughs> sounded good yeah, enough. I, well, I knew you'd settling. lost a Morocco <laughs> not, not quite as good as an Allison, but no, it had no, yeah. He's all right. <laughs> Wallace is pretty good. That'll yeah. do. I love <laughs> so, That was cool uh, the way you said that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I think you and I talked at Charlotte. Okay. And I said, 
I said, you know, you'd lost the Moroso ride. And I said, look, you need a ride. I need a driver. If you and I work together, we could maybe make something out of this. Yeah. That's sort of how it started. Yeah. And then the, the first race we ran together was Dover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had the Duron thing for Charlotte. But uh, FTP Brakes was going to sponsor us. And we went to Dover with the FTP Brakes. And uh, they were going to come up here and bring us a check. Well, they never showed up. So we were saying, well, what do we do? Take the name off the car? And I said, no. Nah. We got their name on the car. We ain't got nothing else to put on. We're going to run the race. And they'll either Monday morning, they'll come see us or, or we won't deal with them anymore. I think we finished 10th up there and we were fortunate because we were going to run Hoosiers and Rusty gave us some scuffs, good years. And we wound up on the good years and the Hoosiers were terrible. They were blowing tires and knocking the wall down. Right. Let me explain this to Jeff for a second, Barry, and you chime in at any time. So Jeff, I don't know if you remember, there was a tire war at one time with Hoosier and Goodyear. Right, I remember that. And Hoosier was building a really, really fast tire, but it has a lot of instability problems. The tire felt really weird. I mean, even at Daytona, we were going to run Hoosiers. Unfortunately, they withdrew them, and we put Goodyear's on, changed the whole car. But uh, there was a real dilemma early in in racing you know, that 80s, 90 era, probably 90 eras when Hoosier was building the tire and they made that baby go fast for a lap. But they were blowing left and right. Yeah. They? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, of course, they got them better along the way, but uh, the end result, it was a challenging time in the sport. And that's a lot of people ask why there's only one tire manufacturer, you know, Goodyear right now, or you go to Formula One, it's Bridgestone or whatever it might be. And it's just, it's a safety issue, believe it or not. It's right. that way they're not competing against each other. All right, Barry, I'm sorry. I went off on that. Well, and, and the downside to that was back then, 60 cars were showing up for the field. 20 are going home. Well, the people that knew they were going home would put Hoosiers on and get in that good lap and qualify, and the regulars would go home because they were on good years. Yeah. yeah. That was the work part. Yeah, I remember that stuff. I And they actually, I think – if I remember the facts, because we all knew a few people from Hoosier, I think Hoosier was willing to help our team a little bit at that time. Yeah. <coughs> Give us some tires or whatever, which was, yeah, man, that's real money back then. You know, Damn you right. freeze tires. So. All right. After after Dover, you know, we came back. We, like I said, we finished Dover. Never did see the FDP break people. And then the next week they call us up and they said, uh, have you and Mike got some time? said, uh, we got a little citation jet. We're going to send down there and pick y'all up, bring you up here and feed you dinner and talk to you. So we said, yeah, we can do that. So you remember that? They came down, picked us up in the citation. Yeah, I do. I remember that. Took us up there, fed us dinner, give us a big check, put us on the plane, sent us back home. I said, well, hell, this ain't too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Flying on a jet plane. (laughs) That's big time, man. Yep. So we went from Doha. Later that season, we ran uh, Martinsville, and we led from lap 80 to lap 190, and Bobby Labina got by you with 10 to go. Now, that car, that was a predecessor to Reba. That car was a Wayne Day car that Labani had flipped at Loudon, and they gave me the old car. It tore all the pieces. But it wound up with uh, uh, Rick Townsend snout with Laughlin lower A-frames, a Hutchison Pagan trailing arm mount and a Wayne Day chassis, Wayne Day case. So, so Barry, and a one uh, uh, popped on it. 
So I said Barry, but I meant to say Jeff. Jeff, you have to picture this now, right? When everything's supposed to be all one brand, everything per, you know, all these bigger teams have all this perfect stuff. Barry just said, you know what? We don't have the money. Them tires half the time don't know what brand that A-frame is or right. whatever. It is. Just let's get, let me get all this stuff gathered up. And my God, did he do a, just an incredible job of assembling. It's like the old Johnny Cash song. Remember that? One piece at a time. Yeah, one piece. He put this whole Cadillac together, one piece at a time. It was a 1955, 56, 57. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, that, that's about it, right? Take us away and bring us back. We'll, and we'll come finish back. Up. One more segment with Barry Owen. You're listening to Fast Car and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed. Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Talking to longtime NASCAR vet Barry Owens. Something about a car named Rebo once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Boy, Jeff, this is getting exciting. I mean, we've had a lot of fun with Barry so far, but we uh, now we're getting to part of the career where I joined Barry. You know, I just joined him, but now he's going to tell us about the, the, the fast race car that he built named Reba. Yeah. All right, Barry, you're all on. <laughs> After, you know, this hodgepodge car, then over the winter, I said, well, I need to build a, a new car, but build it like this one, you know. So uh, I went down to Hutchinson Payne, one of the car builders, and I said, I need a snout for a car I'm going to build. He said, we can't build them fast enough for what we're doing. I said, what you got upstairs? He said, well, there's some obsolete stuff up there. So I went up there and rummaged through it, and there was three snaps against the wall that were partially finished. So I drug one down. It was all dirty and dusty. I said, what do you take for this? And he $100. So we go back and build a car out of it. Well, the first race on the car was Loudon. And I think we'd qualified fifth or something. We're running fifth early, fairly early in the race. And the leaders decided to spin each other out. And Mike spun to miss it and was in good shape till the guy decided to get his lap back. And he hits us head on and drives us backwards inside the wall. And knocked both ends of Reba off right off the bat. But Reba wasn't named Reba by now, before then. But uh, yeah, just to let you know, it, not, it, it knocked the top head of my head off at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back to Hutch's to get the other two snouts, and we rebuild Reba. I think the next place we ran was Nazareth. Uh, Mike couldn't be there because he had started driving a little bit for Dunlavey, and uh, Ed Barrier qualified it. Mike started last. We got up to second. And actually got a nose under the leader, and a caution came out. Uh, and uh, we were having some transmission shift problems. And on the restart, he was a little slow on the shift, uh, trying to make sure it went in gear, and got popped in the rear and crossed him up, and we finished second there. But, but Mike said, uh, he said, man, he said, this car runs. He, he said, we're going to call this car Bubba. I said, no, nah, we're going to call it Reba. She's the hottest thing going. <laughs> And yeah. I told him after I called it Reba, I said, you know, that thing ran good at Loudon and ran good at Nazareth. It'll run good at Milwaukee, Indy. Well, we wind up winning Dover, Milwaukee, and Indy with it. Uh, so I called Milwaukee and Indy about three months before it happened. Yeah, that's, that was an amazing time. You know, Jeff, I don't know. I know you've had a uh, a professional legends career and was quite yeah, dominant right. in that, that era. But It was all for fun. Yeah, but so – the the way he built that car, it was the year before we ran all right, and we kind of made the comment. I think he did, or we just need a faster car, right? Right, just need a faster car. It's not like it handles really bad, the one that we were driving, but we need a fast. Well, he built that car. It ended up being called Reba, and that was a whole new style car for us. I mean, just 
it was lighter, it was faster, it turned better, and, and we won. We just won, you right. know, and it was like, yeah, baby. Now he's got it it's figured out. It's a wonderful out. feeling, isn't it? Oh. When, the, when the car actually turns. Yeah, and I just, but it was fast. There was just speed in it, you right. know what I mean? And right. so. You described that car to me once. You said, you said, there's cars sit on the racetrack and they're terrible. And the cars get in the racetrack, they're kind of fun. He said, this car here gets into the racetrack, rotates in the middle. And he said, when you pick up the gas, you feel a left rear tire kick you in the butt. Yeah. He said, that's the only way I can explain it. Yeah, it was it was great. It was an awesome experience, and, and I think what makes it so awesome, Jeff, especially in that era, in that time, Barry was the type of gentleman that it, it wasn't money driven. It wasn't because we had more money. We had less money than anybody to work with, yeah. you know. And where everybody was having dial indicator gauges and all that to set the front bump steer in his car, Barry'd roll a toolbox up against it, lock the wheels, and use a tape measure, <laughs> and he'd go. That damn tire don't know if a thirty thousandth to a sixteenth of an inch, so we'll, we'll get it close enough. And and uh, it was beautiful. I love him to death. He's he was a major major influence in my career. And uh, I've told you off there, Barry, but thank you so very much. I love you for it because uh, you could have not never allowed me to have that opportunity and probably wouldn't have had a career. But I did. But let's move on from me. We won races together. And uh, well, it, it, toward the end of that season, ninety four. Uh, you decide you want to run an ARCA race. Well, oh, yeah. I had all. Hell yeah, old I forgot all about them. <laughs> I had an old chassis literally sitting out in the woods, and we dug it in, put it together, and this was a Ford. Put a Ford body on it, went to Atlanta, and won Atlanta. The first ARCA race I'd ever run. And uh, then the next season, Klausner sponsored us for seven ARCA races. And this third snout that Hutch had, I built an ARCA car that we won to both Poconos with. But uh, well, we in won. the seven races that Klausner sponsored us, we won four, finished second twice, and third once. And that was all the Speedway races, Daytona, Talladega, Pocono, Michigan, Atlanta. Hey, Jeff, we were pretty good. Sounds like it, man. <laughs> yeah. When I told you when I did the intro, you guys had you guys had some success. In 1993, nine top tens, finished 12th in the points. I, uh, I I get a kick out of any more. People have, all, you know, as you're able to find everything on uh, your phone, people will put up win deals, NASCAR memes, they call it the winning moment or something like that. And I just the other day, I watched the ARCA uh, Talladega win. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, gosh, that was cool, you know. <laughs> I, it was just Barry and a few guys. I'm trying to. Half the guys, the guys did leave Barry, I think, ended up at Richard Childress. I don't know if they're still over at Richie Burgess and yeah, people like that. You know, the Talladega win, that, that was one of those races that it just all goes right. Yeah. We borrowed the car from Dunleavy. The car was horrible. It was The body was all on wrong, everything. We just had to set it to the minimum heights and let the chassis be what it is. But we practiced fifth. We qualified fifth. We ran fifth in happy hour. Fifth place car was the best we were. That, that's with a Robert Yates motor. So, uh, 60 lap race, 29 lap fuel window. Caution 28 comes out, caution comes out, the whole world comes in, gets fuel. We came in, got fuel. We went out, ran one lap, and the caution came out again. And I told Mike, I said, come back in, let's top the fuel. Mike says, we can't give up track position this late. I said, look, we can't make it on fuel. And we can't outrun those other four cars. Our only chance is this last 30 laps goes green and they run out of fuel. And that's exactly what happened. They ran out of fuel just one at a time. The leader took the white flag 
he ran out in the middle of three and four. Mike took the checkered flag and ran out down the back straightaway. Huh. What do you call that, Jeff? Better be lucky than good Love any it day. When a plan comes together, baby. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, in in that time, Barry, I mean, just the uh, the things you did with nothing, I'm impressed by. And I think everybody is, and hopefully everybody that's been listening realizes that. So even in that era, you didn't have to have the major crazy dollars. Uh, you know, we had some some nice opportunities, some little bit of help along the way. I remember, right, that uh, Brother Rusty kicked in and bought three, wasn't it, Barry? He bought three Ruggles motors for us. Did I have that right? Or am I thinking no, something? no, he no, he didn't buy any motors for us. My theory is somebody in, else. What I you knew. and I were, we uh, was I could build the cars and save money on the cars, and then buy the best engines we could buy. That's it. Okay. Well, uh, you know, the last year of the V sixes, you know, everybody was just using up what they had. We took the risk and bought new Rinaldi motors from Moroso. And that's what we won the races with. That's right. That's right. All right. So let's move forward. Let's move past Mike Wallace for a moment. And Barry Owen continues to strive as a car owner, strive as a car builder. And I do know, and you put them in order for me, I know that you work with David Reagan, who went on to have a great cup career. You've worked with Josh Williams, who has made himself to claim and fame a week ago by parking it. Right. <laughs> and ran Ray. And then you also work with Parker Klingerman. To name just a few that I know of, tell us a little bit about those stories. You got six minutes to knock it all out. Okay, Parker's the quickest. Uh, I was working for a team in Georgia. Road course came up for ARCA. Nobody had road course cars. Uh, they wanted to run Parker up there. So I'm their third team. So they, I said, send me a wrecked short track car. So they sent me a wreck. You notice everything car. starts with a wreck car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or yeah. one in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> and rebuilt it into a road course car. Now, Parker was just 17 there. He had never driven a big car, and but had driven sports cars. And uh, so I'm up there, you know, just me. I, I, I've got a local fisherman and his next door neighbor and his grandson. That's my crew. <laughs> but uh, we wind up qualifying outside pole with a thing. And Roush and all, you know, all the cup teams are up there with their ringer drivers. So you got seven cup teams up there with their ringer drivers and all, and they got all their computers and their laptops and all this stuff out, and we're kicking their butts with a 15-year-old in a flat black car with no sponsor. <laughs> uh, but the, not having a pit crew, the, the caution came out right at halfway, and we went from third to fifteenth, and uh, then from fifteenth back to fifth and three laps and. The rain came and it called a race, but uh, that was a Parker. Now David, you know Ken called me and you know David was going to run. Uh, we were running Cam Strader in the Dash Series, and uh, back to the Dash Series '99 and 2000, I think. Uh, that's when Toyota came along. Well, NASCAR needed Toyota to be successful, so they're giving Toyota everything in the world. They've got Robert Huffman, a six-time champion, and. Toyota and all like that. We come in with Cam and a Mercury Cougar won the championship. Stop that Toyota from winning the championship. Uh, and then uh, David Reagan came up and was helping us with Cam's, and he was going to run the Dash Series, but they changed the age rules. So we ran David in the late model, and then we put him in an ARCA car, and uh, where did we go? Somewhere up north. 
anyway, qualified outside pole his first ARCA race. And we'd, we'd have won that race if we hadn't had a tire going flat right at the end. But, uh, so, so you, you had all this success with about everybody that you've raced with, and you've done it on an incredible budget. Uh, the budget would be basically no money to start with, and a little comes along the way. So after that, you've, uh, you've decided that you're not going to be a car owner anymore. And uh, I don't know what, how that decision was made. Uh, you can tell us, but what what do you do today? What is uh, what are some of the fun things that Barry Owen is doing today? Well, uh, you know, my son worked with me a lot on the things, but with the racing and all, and he was good at it. But he didn't want to devote his life to it, and it was just, you know, the cup teams, five cup teams were taking over everything, and the independent car owner was just destined to lose. So uh, I started fooling with real estate a little bit. I got a couple uptown buildings and renovated them and uh, played with that for a few years, had fun doing that. Uh, right now, I bought 11 acres right up the street from where I live, and we're building a little garage and a little farm up on the hill just playing. And if I may mention along this way, if you ever were interested in Corvairs, the old cars, the Corvairs, <laughs> right. yeah. Barry Owen is the Corvair king of the world. Like, So he's the one that gave you the Corvair we were talking about last week. Yeah, huh? Barry, I was telling about the Corvair you gave me as a trophy. Yeah. And uh, just about different things. And then uh, now he has a recent, he's into these GMC motorhomes. Remember those dome top, big long, big side window motorhomes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Front wheel drive. So I, I think what he's trying to say at this point in life, he was so successful, he's independently wealthy. He's got real estate all yeah, over. Right. So he's a real estate tycoon. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you go from struggling to be a race car fabricator to a team owner to to winning races. Then you say, oh, heck with all that stuff. I'm going to go own some buildings. He's got some hat that just says, show me the money on the, on the visor of it. <laughs> and all done on a shoestring budget, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Barry, what do you got to add? We're about done here. But, I mean, I, um, Jeff, I don't think you realize how much this guy means to me as far as my career. No, I mean, it, I could tell. And you, it's, guys, uh, you guys go back and, and you give him credit for yeah, a lot he, of the good things that happened he in made, your career. He made uh, my career that I, could, that I could start and have one. And then just other people he's helping. And he's just such a nice guy along the way and does everything so simple. Nothing... He's the guy you want to be around when you don't want any drama in your life, right? <laughs> Just no drama. <laughs> so what do you got going on, Barry, for the last minute here? What's the next thing on your project list? Uh, well, like I say, the motorhomes have worn me out. I've, I've done nine motors, five transmissions, and two frames since September. Well, it sounds to me like you're about ready to go racing again. So what do you think about coming down, help me take my super late model and go to North Wilkesboro for oh, All-Star yeah. Week and race that baby on a Tuesday night? I'd say it's time to get the band back together. Nah. <laughs> yeah, you know. I could probably get. Plan, I've never quite figured out how we split up. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but we can we can get all this back together. Let's make it all happen. I can even get Jeff Kent to come now and then. Absolutely. Yeah. Celebrity tire I'll, changer. I'll, I'll come with you to Wilkesboro. All right. Well, I've uh, I've got two cars sitting out at the shop. I've told my son I'm going to race him. He says, well, find your own help. I don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. I says, oh, right. I went to every damn race you raced, and now i got to find my own help. And uh, But I'd, I'd like to go to Wilkesboro on Tuesday night. they got the uh, 
the super late model series running up there and just kind of be part of that week. It'd be kind of fun. Well, you need to wreck the car before I work on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. a done deal. <laughs> okay. I'm going to back the golf, the uh, four wheeler into the nose of it, but, uh, there you go. all right. I'll holler at you. We'll get together. We got a month to get that baby prepared in and, uh, Heck, Jeff, we might go win Wilkesboro in the All-Star Race. Sounds good, man. I told you I wanted to go. Okay. All right. Here we go. Thank you, Barry. Have a great day. All right. Y'all too. Long time NASCAR vet Barry Owen. There he goes. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. See you next week.